Hey, this is Doug Birch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Today, I'm going to talk about a very important topic uh, in life and in ministry. What is success? How do you determine that you are successful? Should we even use those terms, successful? Uh, that will be our topic on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. something a little different. Uh, I'm streaming this live on hopefully Facebook and Twitter and Restream. And then also I will turn this into uh, the regular Fairly Spiritual podcast, which you can get, uh, well, you can avoid it in so many places. You can find it on iTunes and all the places where people get their podcast. But I just thought I'd do this. So there's a video version of it and there's an audio version of it as well. And it's all live. There's not going to be any editing. So, uh, that's how I used to do my radio show live anyway. So I just figured you're going to you're gonna hear everything, warts and all. You can't hear warts. So there, right there, is an issue of live. I used an illustration that doesn't make any sense. So success, um, the concept of success. Now, I'm using it this way. Uh, success in the terms of God has a task for us. God has a task for you. God has something he wants you to do. And how do I know I've been successful at doing what God has called me to do. I think that's kind of important. It, Lord, am I doing what you told me to do? And then how do I even measure that what I'm doing is right or uh, successful? So I'm using it in those terms, not the terms of how to be a great financial success and grow a church of thousands. I'll be focusing particularly on pastors and ministry, uh, but this actually works in so many areas beyond just pastoring. Uh, for me, success has to have this definition, value in the doing, that I measure my success in life, that what I'm doing has value in the doing and not just in outcomes. I've noticed that so many pastors and ministers, especially when they're starting out, often measure the worth of what they're doing in outcomes. A, a new church planner, they start a church, you know, it's a small group of people, and they have these goals. You know, we're going to grow to be a church of uh, 2,000. Or let's say they're even just small goals. You know, we're, we're going to be a church of, of 100 people. And we're going to have uh, these kinds of outcomes, a certain kind of worship team, a certain kind of uh, music expression and children's ministry expression. We have these things we're working towards. But what happens when you work towards outcomes is often there's a dissatisfaction in the moment. And that people are never satisfied in the moment. They're like, I'm miserable now, but I'm being miserable now for a future outcome. So I've seen pastors do this, where they're giving all their energy towards a future outcome. And in doing that, maybe they're not giving energy to other things. They're not giving energy to their, their wife or their husband or their kids or their friends. And the idea is, well, I'm just working really hard right now because this is a season where I'm working towards an outcome. But what happens is often that outcome never arrives. We never reach what we're working towards. Or we reach that outcome and we're still incredibly dissatisfied. I remember early on in ministry when 
I'm struggling and asking the Lord, why can't we grow and get bigger? And we had a Sunday where we had a large group of people. It was our largest attendance. And I remember coming home feeling very dissatisfied. And what I realized is attendance numbers were not going to satisfy me, and they they shouldn't satisfy me. So to me, any ministry goal or life goal, it must have value in the doing, in that you say, you know, this is important, whether people receive it or don't receive it, whether they accept it or reject it, this has value. I think about Jesus, how he assessed his ministry, how Paul assessed his ministry. Jesus ministered in communities that rejected him and some that accepted him. He even said things like, woe to you, Corazon, and woe to you, like whole regions. He said, woe to you because I did things there and you didn't accept them. And Jesus didn't say, well, I must have been a failure because they didn't accept me. He just put that on them. You know, I've ministered in different places, and in some places they received me, in other places they rejected me. It's not about me. It's about them. I'm just being faithful. We can't assess uh, the strength of our ministry based on whether people respond to it. I'll give an example for this. Uh, sometimes pastors are, you know, we need to go from one service to two services. And so they pray about it and try to discern it. But then after all that prayer, they think, you know, the Lord is calling us to go to two services. And they go to two services and it doesn't work. Uh, there's not much energy. There's barely anyone in the first service or the second service, and everybody's working harder, but actually you're just feeling like momentum-wise you're going backwards. And so you finally say, you know what? We just can't do this. I've seen pastors do that, and they'll think, well, we must have failed. We must have done this wrong. We must not have heard from the Lord. But that might not be the case at all. You might have heard from the Lord, but the people in the congregation didn't do their part. They didn't commit to coming. They didn't commit to asking others to come. The workers didn't do what they were called to do, or the world just didn't respond the way the world's supposed to respond. You know, we pastor churches where people should be giving financially to the church at some level, not in guilt, not in you better tithe or you're not close to God, but people should be. But many people don't. Many people are in rebellion with their finances. They're, they're just not giving. They're, and by the way, they're not giving to your church. They're not giving to anything. They're just spending money on themselves. And so it's hard to carry out some of the visions God has placed on your heart if other people are in rebellion. Too often, though, we judge the success of things kind of on us. If it succeeds, you know, we got the right discernment. Uh, but if it fails, we must clearly have done something wrong. Uh, for me, success is just obedience. It's trying as best as you know how to discern what God has called you to do and then to do it. And whether the outcomes are good or the outcomes are bad, you just trust the Lord. The Apostle Paul's like this. The Apostle Paul is not very successful in his life. If you read uh, the later epistles, he says things like, everyone has abandoned me. Uh, everyone's forsaken me. There's, there's an aspect where Paul is not very successful in the eyes of the church. Yet Paul chooses obedience. There is a, uh, an artist, and I can't remember his name right now, that I love what he says. He, he has this weird saying. He says, uh, energy, yes, quality, no. Energy, yes, quality, no. And I'm sorry, I just skipped my mind who this is. Uh, but what, he, what he's saying is, you know, we say, well, we should have quality. But what he's saying is when you create art, quality is kind of subjective. Uh, some people say, this is a good painting, that's a bad painting. It has a lot to do with who's in positions of power, who the critics are, who the people are who are buying the art, the rich people, and certain people decide what is of value and what isn't of value. And that artist basically said, this is all very arbitrary. 
So I can't judge uh, the quality or what the world says is quality, but I can judge your energy. Are you giving your passion to this work? Are you giving your best energy? And I think that's a great way to look at that quality, how you should preach, how you should teach, how the church should be structured. We all try these things, but there's a lot of different opinions. And we can argue about those opinions. And certainly I want to try to do the best of whatever I do. But one of the things I can ask myself is, am I giving my best energy towards this? Or am I just kind of, you know, as long as it looks good to others, it's fine. Ultimately, I have to stand before the Lord and say, I, you know, I gave you my best. I don't, I, you know, honestly don't know if it was the right thing, but I tried to discern your will and obediently to give you the best. So I say that often. Uh, quality, no. Energy, yes. Uh, doesn't mean I don't want to have something of quality. But in the end, whether people accept it or reject it, whether they like it or not, I can say, did I give my best energy towards this? Is there value in the doing? So another aspect of how do we judge success is ultimately for me, a success is to do things spirit-led. Success isn't following a model, a system, a program, some very helpful advice. Ultimately, success is doing what the Spirit of the Lord calls you to do. I was looking in John, uh, I think it was in John chapter 3, where uh, John the Baptist is confronted, uh, where people come to him and say, you know, Jesus is baptizing right down the road from you, and you're baptizing, and what's this all about? And John basically, I'm just going to preface it, is very just relaxed. He's like, you know, I'm doing what God has called me to do. Uh, and Jesus is doing what God has called him to do. And Jesus is from above, and I'm just from the earth. And basically, John's saying, you know, I, God gave me kind of one vision, baptism for repentance. And I'm going to keep doing that, basically, until Messiah reveals himself completely in his death and resurrection and ascension, and or until God tells me to do otherwise. I'm just going to keep baptizing. But John also says, but you know, Jesus is the Messiah. He, he gets to do whatever he wants. He does what the Father has put on his heart. And uh, he's from above, and so I'm not going to be threatened by that. I'm just going to do what I'm called to do and trust that it'll fit into the bigger picture of what God has called us to do. We must be spirit-led in that sense. I, I can't do everything. I ultimately have to do what God has placed on my heart. And someone can come to me and say, well, that person's doing this, and that person's doing that, and don't you feel threatened by that, or don't you think you should do that? And ultimately, I have to be spirit-led and say, this is what I believe God has called me to do. Now, we all know the danger of being spirit-led. Some people use that to not have accountability. They're just, I'll just do whatever the Spirit of God tells me to do, and they're big jerks who are just ruining everything. So spirit-led also has an accountability in this, and this is how I would see it. Uh, I'm spirit-led, but I also hope that the things I'm doing uh, confirm or conform with Scripture. So I'm not bringing stuff in that's contrary to what Scripture says, you know, scripture talks about being the servant of all. So if I'm out there as a big prophetic jerk who isn't serving anyone, I, I don't think I'm hearing from the spirit of the Lord. So there's that aspect of making sure it's accountable within uh, the word of God, within prayer, and then within healthy community. Uh, I, I do think at some level being spirit-led is to be spirit-led in community. And if I'm just, you know, it's my way and, and God's spoken, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, I'm a dangerous person. So I have to bring this spirit-led activity into community. And the community that I would bring it into are people that produce good fruit. 
people that also have a peaceable spirit, pe- people that are known to be Christ-like, uh, people who are humble, who admit to their own faults and weaknesses. Like, I'm not going to find another jerk who agrees with my jerkiness. I need to be around someone who is humble, who is willing to admit to their own mistakes, who is producing good fruit, but also is sincerely looking to live a life that honors God and is willing to repent and and shows the fruit of repentance and growth and humility. But if I believe I'm led by the Lord, and I believe Scripture just confirms it or it doesn't go against Scripture, and I've had some people around me that I've been in community with who also validate that, who say, yes, we too agree, you know, two or more agree, we agree that God has called you to do that, then I just need to go ahead and do it in faith. Now, this is very different than just finding people who agree with you online, because right now we live in an age where we can find anyone to agree with anything we say, right? I can say anything, and if I tweet it and post it enough, there's going to be someone out there who's going to be, yes and amen, you're doing exactly what you're called to do. So we can't just go find people who will validate what we want them to validate. We need to find people that we're in relationship with, someone we've been in relationship with longer than just a tweet, someone that who really knows us. They know our heart. They know um, what's been entrusted to us. They know, for instance, if I say, you know, I'm just supposed to tour the world and preach the gospel and just live out of my car, and that's what God called me to do. Well, my good friend, Pastor Dan Barons, would say, don't you have a family? And uh, you have a son who's still at home, and your wife, does she, is she called to do that? So he can ask me those questions. If if you've heard from the Lord, you know your your wife is going to be with you on this, or or you're at least going to have looked at the consequences of what you're doing. So, uh, how are we successful to be obedient to what God has called us to do through the leading of the Holy Spirit? That what we do must have ultimately just value in the doing, uh, regardless of outcomes. We live in a world that's going to reject God, so there's no. There's no certainty that what you do is going to be successful in the eyes of the world. I've heard one of the worst sayings ever is the saying, you know, healthy churches are growing churches or healthy things are growing things. It's just not true. Uh, A healthy cancer will grow. Uh, There's a lot of unhealthy things that grow. Viruses spread and grow. So growth is not a determination of anything. Like a large church, all a large church means is you have a large church. It is morally neutral. Now, also that's true of a small church. Well, we're small and we haven't sold out, so no, morally neutral, because a small church can be just as toxic as a large church. A house church can be just as toxic as a church that has a traditional model. The, those things, you know, we get in these battles. What, what should Christians do? Should we meet in houses? Should we meet in buildings and cathedrals? Uh, how, how should, should it be large groups or small groups? Should it be campuses? You know, all those things are just laws. You can't say, thus saith the Lord, now you're doing it right and good and pure and holy because you're in a house or you're in a sanctuary or there's 100 people or there's 10,000. Ultimately, are we being obedient to what God has called us to do? Are we being Christ-like in what God has called us to do? Are we accountable? Uh, Another way for ministry to be successful, and I'll just throw this in here. I believe that for your ministry, and I just say your as in the calling God has placed on your heart. It's God's ministry. 
But for ministry expressed through you to be successful, it must be authentic and personal. I think we're incredibly dangerous when we pretend. We put on the pastor persona. We become something others want, but who we are is hidden or separate. We've met people like that, people who talk like this, and then they begin to preach, and they talk in a different voice. And you're, you're like, what, what just happened? Where, where, did, where did Doug go? Somebody just took him over. The pastor persona took him over. Or they act differently you know, in, a, in a group with other people. Well, as your pastor, you need to know. And you're just like, where did the guy go that I was just talking to? Where did the woman go that I was just talking to? They're suddenly becoming something different that's kind of frightening. So ministry needs to be authentic. And this is what I, I tell young pastors, and I would tell you, make people or let people reject you for the core of who you are. Let me say that again. Let people reject you for the core of who you are. In ministry, you're going to face rejection. And if you're arguing with me, like, no, you can be, you can do it great. That's the problem. People go, you know, pastors were just better. There'd be healthier churches. Here's the deal. Wonderful pastors will still face tremendous conflict. Uh, churches where the Holy Spirit has been poured out in amazing measure will still face terrible conflict. And why do we know that? Because we have the Bible. We know that Jesus ends up crucified. Paul ends up in prison, killed. John ends up you know, isolated on an island. All his friends are being murdered. Peter crucified upside down. That the fruit of ministry is a cross, is a death, is a sacrifice, is persecution. So you're going to get persecuted. So if you're trying to structure ministry based on it, I'll just, everybody will like me. And I used to be like that. If I'm just a nice guy, they'll all like me. It doesn't matter. You will be attacked for being Christ-like. You will be rejected. Some will walk away sad. Others will try to take you down. So if that's the case, if you're going to face rejection, why not face rejection for doing what you love, for what's the core of who you are? I remember early on as a pastor, I started when I was 27, and uh, people had all kinds of expectations, and older gentlemen would come in and say, you know what the church needs to do and what you need to do, and I'm trying to serve them and please them. And I would put something into practice that I didn't want to do, that I didn't believe in, that I didn't feel called to do, but I did it because they put that expectation on me. The reality is those people eventually left. They weren't even around. I didn't see them anymore. They, they weren't a part of my life in the future. They were just somebody who put something on me and then walked away. I remember I had one man who said, you know, this church is going to be successful. You have a church service. Now you need to do a Sunday school class and do a second service. And so I did that. And all I ended up doing is wearing out all my workers. And uh, people ended up going to church too long. There were kids that were there in the first service. And then they were in the Sunday school. And because their parents also had to do worship two, two services, they were in the second service. And it just didn't make sense. Now, there's things I've done that I really believed in where still they didn't work or they were rejected or people got upset at me. But at least I could say, you know, that's the core of who I am. I structured our church around my writing that I get opportunity to write because I will, I will wither and die and become bitter and not a good person if I'm not allowed to express my gifting of writing or evangelism or speaking. And there's limitations to that. Some people don't like that. They want me to do other things, but I, I can't be what someone else's model is. I have to be ultimately what the Spirit of the Lord has called me to do. I put myself into accountability. I let people tell me how they feel about things. People who know me, they can look at the consequences of these things. 
But ultimately, I try to make ministry personal. It is so hurtful when you're doing stuff you don't want to do and people reject you. When you're working in a church setting and the council wants you to do something and you're doing something you just hate and you're miserable with, and then they still judge you and harm you and hurt you. So have people judge you and harm you and hurt you for carrying the cross God has called you to carry, your own cross, the passion God put on your heart. Make room for that in your life. I think I'm even talking to some pastors here right now. You have to make room for that. Right now where you're ministering, is there room for the things that give you life? Like if you're someone who, I must be with the poor, I must be feeding the poor, I must be helping the poor, is there room for you to do that? For those of you who are, I just love to preach and teach and learn and study the word, but I just don't have any time for that. You have to make time for that. And that means doing not doing other things that will upset people. If you're someone where, you know what, I work on my sermon, but I, I don't do that much. I really would like to just meet with people one-on-one -on -one and I need more time to do that. Uh, then you need more time to do that. Make ministry personal. Have people accept and reject the core of who you are. I think I got just a couple more things here and then we'll close it up here. Um, here's a big one for me. And this goes along with making ministry personal. Avoid idolatry. And this is the idolatry I think many of us face. Uh, right now, maybe you have a conception of who you should be. You're like, if I was just this kind of pastor, everything would be better. You know, if I was just more organized or if I was just more emotionally present or what, whatever the thing is. And you have this idea of yourself, this, like for me, I have this perfect Doug, this better Doug that I use to measure myself against. That is idolatry in that I have an idol of who I'm supposed to be. And I measure myself to that idol. The reality is that idol doesn't exist. The Doug that I measure myself against never existed has never existed in the past, and won't exist in the future. And that idolatry often leads to condemnation, where we just have this self-hate. And so much of church leadership growth stuff is self-hate. It's you're not where you should be. You're not big enough. You're not influential enough. You're not doing the right things. The church you should be is here. This is who you are. And so we measure ourselves with an idol or what some book or conference or denominational leader told us we're supposed to be. And then we're dissatisfied with our existence on a daily basis. Majority churches are small, and yet we're measured to, to be a success. You must be a large church. So the majority of churches learn to hate their own expression. And even people within the church learn to hate that expression. We just need to be like that church, and we just need to be like that thing. And we're all measuring ourselves against some sort of idol. Take that idol and just throw it on the ground and let it break into pieces. The Lord can lead you to grow. The Lord can give you direction. But we're not measuring ourselves against some other reality that never existed. Be spirit-led. Have things have value in the doing. Be authentic and personal, and real. The last one here is, I believe, success in ministry and in life is community-minded. And this is what I'll say. Here's a sign that your leaders and your church is toxic. <clears throat> I'm going to say this without qualifiers. I believe this completely. 
if the pastor who you consider your pastor or the church you consider your church only talks about their ministry, only defines success and purpose and meaning within their ministry, they're toxic. That's a dangerous thing. If they're only about how many church plants they do, if they're only about how big their church gets, if all the statistics and all the data and all the focus is about what happens within their walls, and even when they go outside the walls, they still only talk about things in relationship to how it grows their vision and their plan. If they talk about church planning in a community and they say, you know, we're going to bring the kingdom of God into that community, and they don't talk about the fact that there's other pastors and churches and people in that community that God loves and God has already been working in that community. If they talk about we're going to partner with what God's doing, that's a healthy church. If they talk about we're going to bring revival and change and transformation as if God steps into the room when they step into that city, then they're toxic and they're dangerous. Uh, Abraham was promised by God that he would make him into a people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. The ultimate vision is that we would become a people, not a denomination, not individual churches with their own individual vision, but a people. And there's one people that God's making, uh, whether you're Protestant or Catholic, whether you are uh, you know, uh, Anglican, whether you're charismatic, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, or Baptist, God only sees one people. There's only one people. There's only one church. And there's only one purpose that we would be made into a people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Success is seeing your life within that context, that it's not just about you. When it's just about you, it's dangerous. Here's a sign that you're in a dangerous place as a pastor, and I'll just say this. Uh, if you don't have room for other pastors, if you just see them as a distraction to your ministry, you're in trouble. If you just I give all my priority to just what happens in the building, but I don't care what's happening at the church down the street or you know whether I don't care about the churches in my denomination, I don't care about the churches in my city, I just don't care. If you haven't given those priority, you're in a dangerous place. Success is to be tied to something greater. And we go back to that with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is doing his thing. He's baptizing people even when Jesus is baptizing people. But John knows that what he's doing is part of the bigger picture. So he's not defensive for what Jesus is doing. He's celebrating it. He's saying, he's the groom, and here's the wedding, and I'm a friend of the groom, and I'm thankful for what he's doing, but uh, this ain't about me. I must decrease so he can increase. And every church should be like that. Every pastor, as that pastor gets older, should decrease in their importance. Their importance should decrease. The importance of the kingdom should increase. But if they're the only one who can you know, make the church healthy, if they're the only one that people will rally around, then there's a problem. And we're seeing that, frankly. A lot of these pastors who have these large churches who wrote books about how to be like them, they haven't been able to transition their churches. Because in the end, it kind of was just about them and their personality. And the church has such a narrow view that they can't see beyond the walls. That it's not just about growing their church, but it's growing the kingdom of God. It's not about their camp versus someone else's camp or their tribe versus someone else's tribe. Okay, 
that's enough. This was the little experiment here. This is the Fairly Spiritual Show. If you'd like to know more about what I do, you can go to fairlyspiritual.org. You can buy my latest book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Or you can also buy the book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. My goal is to support you in what God has called you to do. Um, I want you to feel successful. If you've opened your heart to the Lord, that is successful. If you're genuinely trying to follow the Spirit's leading, that is successful. If you've been faithful, even if you haven't seen the fruit you thought you would see, that is successful. If you've been authentic and transparent, that is successful. If you've cared about things beyond your little expression, then that is success as well. All right. Love you guys. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. Uh, I'll, I hope if, if you like this, let me know and I'll do it again. This is a little different. Uh, podcast you can get at iTunes uh, or you can see these live things whenever I post them. All right. I will see you later. Enough.